Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling podcast. I'm Pam Larickia, longtime unschooling mom and author. Join me and my wonderful guests for interviews, information, and inspiration about unschooling and living joyfully with your family. You can find the episode show notes, your free introductory ebook, What is Unschooling?, and lots more information at livingjoyfully.ca. And here's the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Pam Larickia, and this is episode number 125 of the podcast. It's the 23rd of May, 2018, as I record this intro. And this week on the podcast, I'm trying something new again. A couple months ago, I did a deep dive into the feedback that you guys shared with me in the survey. And one of the suggestions was what I've dubbed a compilation episode, basically content curated from previous podcast episodes that's focused on one topic or idea. So I went back to the survey and looked through the topics you guys would like to see covered, and basically de-schooling for parents was high on that list. And thinking about it, that reminded me of a question that I'm rather fond of asking, namely something along the lines of, what has been one of the more challenging aspects for you on your unschooling journey? So I gathered clips from 14 different episodes where I asked some version of this question. I think it's really fascinating to hear these answers side by side, but I'd love to know what you think. Let me know in the comments on the episode page on my website or on the Facebook post uh, that I share for this episode or wherever. I'd love to know whether you enjoyed it and if you would like to see some more compilation episodes on the podcast in the future. As an update this week, I want to let you know that registration for Childhood Redefined, an online unschooling summit, is now open. It will be open for eight days, closing on May 31st. So the short description for the summit is, dive deep into the world of unschooling and explore ways to live and learn more joyfully, more inspired, and more connected with your children. And I think the climbing to the summit metaphor works really well to describe the unschooling journey that we'll take with you. The summit does not include how-to resources. Our focus is on the deep personal work needed to shift away from the conventional wisdom around learning and parenting that so many of us grew up immersed in. It's about peeling away the layers that so often get in the way of creating a thriving unschooling environment in our families. But if you're wondering what exactly the online summit is, in some ways it's like a conference in that we've recorded for you the mainstays of that kind of event. There's an extended welcome and introduction from the three hosts, that's me, Ann Oman, and Anna Brown. There are our three individual in-depth sessions or talks. There are two panel sessions where the three of us discuss the challenges we have faced and continue to face on the climb as well as how our perspective changes as we reach the summit. Plus, there's the closing session where we share some final thoughts. But it's also not like a conference in many ways, most obviously because you can revisit all the sessions over and over. By revisiting the sessions, you'll make new connections and gain new insights a few weeks or months or even years later as you bring your now more experienced self to these sessions. In another way, uh, the content is available in various formats. 
Absorbing ideas through different mediums can also help spark new connections. So maybe you watch the video of a session one day, and then the next week you listen to the audio version while you're out for a walk or doing the dishes. And maybe the week after, you read the transcript in the early morning as you have a coffee or tea before the kids wake up. Over time, you will come to more deeply understand both yourself and the ins and outs of living unschooling with your family. There's also a private Facebook group for Summit participants. Anne, Anna, and I are in there regularly, and with two expeditions complete now, there are already some amazing threads there. Plus, you can ask your questions as you work through the over eight hours of content. So if you're curious, there's lots more information on the website at childhoodredefined.com. And I'll put a link in the show notes. And remember, registration for this 2018 Spring Expedition is only open until May 31st. And last but not least, I want to take a moment to thank everyone who has chosen to support my work on Patreon. And a warm welcome to new patron Joanna Imu and to Lizzie Ware for increasing her pledge. I deeply appreciate all my patrons and their generous support. It's vital to helping me share unschooling information and inspiration with everyone who wants to explore the fascinating world of unschooling. I also want to say thanks to my $10 and up patrons who have been helping me test out access to the new forum. (laughs) Thanks so much, guys. And if you'd like to support my unschooling work like this podcast and my website and get some fun things in return, check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash exploring unschooling. And now let's dive into our first compilation episode, Challenges on the Unschooling Journey. This is from episode number nine with Amy Childs. Um, I was curious about what you might have found um, some of the more challenging aspects for you on your journey mm-hmm. to unschooling. Mm. Well, I, my, my quick answer when people ask me, like when people would hear that I was unschooling and they didn't know what that meant and they were thinking that it meant something like school at home, they would think, mm-hmm. oh, that sounds so hard because I can't control my kids or I, they won't do anything I say or because I can't, I don't even know algebra, I can't teach them algebra. And as people start to realize, oh, I don't do that, oh, I don't do that, I don't do that, then they start to think, oh, well, it must be really easy if you don't have to do mm-hmm. that and you don't have to do that. I was like, well, it's not actually easy either. It's just a whole <laughs> different kind of hard that you might not be thinking about. And the hardest thing for me was having a dirty house for 15 years. (laughs) And I'm not, I mean, that's sort of a funny answer, but it's also really emblematic of something that I think a lot of people struggle with This kind of, they think that they can have sort of a life where a schooling kind of life and have an unschooling life at the same time. And it just doesn't, mm-hmm. you do have to give up kind of this idea of control and how what a house is supposed to look and how a family is supposed to look and how a day is supposed to look. You just have to keep giving up control over that and learning that life is a lot more slapdash in a way. I mean, like it's over here, it's over there. And actually that's the second thing I always say is the hardest, second hardest thing about homeschooling or unschooling was driving three kids in three different directions all the time. And again, that just shows how much time and effort and attention it takes. It's a shorthand way of saying, well, you as a parent, you need to turn your inside, your whole life inside out. You need to focus on what your kids need instead of what you want or what you pictured life was going to be like. And 
that's what I do with, with clients. I have a lot of clients who are not unschoolers, but often I'll have a, an unschooler call me because, oh, I'm unschooling and I thought it was going to be so much fun and it's not really like, how am I going to get my kids to ever clean up? And it's like, well, actually the way it's going to be fun is if you never, if you let go of that <laughs> idea of what fun is or what a, a house is supposed to look like. That's going to be a way faster way to have fun than it is to try and figure out how to get your kids to make your house look the way you thought it should look. Um, that's the kind of stuff that was hard for me was just reorienting my expectations toward something that um, is much more focused on my kids' happiness and less on what other people think or what I think in my more judgmental, less open moments. This is from episode number 18 with Jennifer McGrail. What has been one of the more challenging aspects of your unschooling journey so far? So for me, um, I, I think it's been figuring out where my own self-care fits in. Um, I tend to be an all-or-nothing personality, so it's. I figured early on that it was very easy for me to make it all about the kids all the time, um, which, you know, a certain amount of that um, you need to do to unschool well, but I had to realize that if I, if I burnt myself out, that I wasn't any good to my kids or myself. So I had to figure out where I fit in, in the whole, in the whole of unschooling and how I could take care of myself and also be there and be there fully present for the kids. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I remember, you know, struggling with that too. Well, and that's something that changes with time as well, right? You know, Definitely. the, um, yeah, the things you find that that re, uh, re-energize, that's probably a good word, that, that re-energize uh, you, change over time, and then and also as they grow. Because, you know, when they're younger, obviously, and they need more hands-on help, you, that your moments for re-energizing, um, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out ways I could do it while I was still with them, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, you know, finding if it was for me at the time, just a, a cup of tea while they were doing things or, you know, a little bit more quiet activity or just going out for a walk. So they, they're looking at their things and I'm looking at my things, you know, seeing the gardens and, and that kind of stuff and how that changes over time. But it, it is an important part because if we don't put our needs into the mix, we don't part of learning out how to all live together that's a really big piece of it, isn't it? It is. And um, there seems to be sort of a, a push by society almost like it's important for you to get away from your kids. Like people, my oldest was still just a baby and people were like offering to babysit. Oh, you should, guys should go out. You should go away for a weekend. You should. And it wasn't that I wanted to get away from my kids. I wanted to learn how to, like you said, take time for yourself and still be present for your kids exactly I can't remember how many times I was asked oh well I'll look after the kids you go you guys go do this it's like no but that's not what I want either <laughs> right it's hard it's a, it's a balance and I noticed for me um something that was huge was that um my kids are all about three and a half years apart so once I had a toddler um that was getting a little more independent then all of a sudden I I was pregnant and then I had another new infant who needed me so much. Uh, 
And so yeah. for many, many years, it was that way. Then once my, my daughter, who was our last child, reached toddlerhood, I, I started to have like a, almost like an identity crisis because I thought, wait a minute, I'm not having another baby and she's getting more independent. I almost felt like I had lost myself. I had to refine the things that, that made me happy just for me. So it was a oh. whole new, um, you know, I had to think, did I used to have hobbies? And <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah, I, it, it was, it was kind of a big, um, growth period trying to remember what I used to do outside of kids, even things I could do beside the kids. Um, you know, my own hobbies and creative pursuits and, um, it's been good for the kids to, to, um, to see me doing my own things and getting joy from my own things. A lot of which I could share with them, you know, they could do art with me and they could do, you know, they love to bake with me. And, um, but yeah, it was definitely a period of figuring out where I fit in, into, into all of it. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And, uh, I love, I love what, when you mentioned, um, sharing that with them because for them to see adults doing things that they like to do, continuing learning and everything that really, really hits home the whole idea of lifelong learning, right? That this isn't something they're doing as kids and we're doing something else as adults. This is a way of living your life. Right. Absolutely. Um, uh, about, I guess about three years ago now, um, I went and got uh, certified to teach yoga and that was a big thing. That was when my daughter was getting older and I was going through my, ah, what do I do now? Um, yes. that, was a, <laughs> that was a big thing, I think, for them to see me um, devote time to something that I wanted to do in a way that, you know, something else that made me happy that was, that was my own. And um, the kids did yoga with me and they came to a lot of my classes and it was, it was fun. It was, a, um, like you said, it's a good thing for them to see you doing you know, pursuing your own things, definitely. Mm -hmm. This is from episode 22 with Lainey Liberty. What has been one of the more challenging aspects of your unschooling journey so far? We were about three years into our, um, our journey. And the biggest challenge that we came across was neural turn and his desire to be in community, he fell in love with the lifestyle that we were living. He was learning. We really um, sort of decompressed ourselves from the role of consumer. And that's, I mean, that's huge. We could talk about that. Um, but that's, you know, answering this question was almost a side note. Um we loved the lifestyle. We loved living minimally. We loved being present. We loved not having any plans. And we loved being outside of the United States. There was so much that we um, connected with from the uh, cultures and communities that we were visiting. But on the other hand, Mira was feeling isolated and lonely. So there was there was a... There was a conflict, you know, he really loved, he was committed to what we were doing, he was committed to this minimalist lifestyle, he was committed to all that we, we had built and created together, 
But he was also, on the other hand, feeling this sense of isolation and loneliness. So we head back or went back, traveled back to the United States for a conference, an unschooling conference. And was that was the very first time that we had met other unschoolers, although we had connected I connected them online as I reached out to learn more about the lifestyle that we started to live. And and I, I know I skipped a big chunk of, you know, how we realized we were unschoolers and what that meant to our lives. But you asked about the challenge. So at that point, we had already identified with being unschoolers and our lifestyle really meshed up with the philosophy surrounding radical unschooling. And we were very clear that we were on path doing this. So when we headed back to the United States for this conference, um, Nero and I shared about our lives and we received incredible support and response. But the the backwards was we were hung out with other teens and he ran around and he sat down, you know, and he had these really meaningful connections with teens that were free thinking, that were out of the box, that were non-judgmental, that really saw the world like he did, even though they were not traveling. And there was so much commonality. And that was the point where he said, you know, I found my, my people, I found my community, I, I, I know who I belong with, but I, you know, here's the conflict, I don't want to go back to a lifestyle without these people. So what we decided to do was, because we were so passionate about the way that we were learning, we decided to bring a group of teens to Peru where we were um, actually staying and loved and living and learning at the time. And in fact, we're back where I'm speaking to you right now, back from Cusco, Peru. And this has, this place has really become symbolic of our, our home and our spirit and our, our deep love of learning. So we started to organize a retreat to bring back a group of teams that we met at a particular conference and organized our first, um, retreat at the time we were calling it project project unschool peru and it really described the spirit of the the feelings and the um the what we were trying to do we were trying to create temporary communities here in a place that we were passionate about but it was for unschoolers and Peru, Cusco was our, our main focus. Um, four years later, it's, it's really transformed into something else. And we've transformed who we are and how we identify our learning styles. And in fact, we call ourselves world schoolers now. That is really cool how you guys managed like how much brainstorming did it take um like to come up with the idea of you know you wanted you wanted to keep your traveling lifestyle that you both really enjoyed and you found this community that Moreau really wanted to connect with I mean what a great idea to bring some of the community to you well I have to tell you Pam it was really about taking care of my child's needs yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, that was the main reason we loved our life. 
but I had to solve a problem as, as parents, you know, create an opportunity to solve a problem or to create the circumstances that would help, you know, facilitate um, solving a problem. Again, you know, as parents, we don't solve the problem. We just set up the circumstances. But mm -hmm. I was passionate about finding a way that would you know, answer the problem we were having together because this was our problem. This is from episode 27 with Teresa Graham-Brett. What has been one of the more challenging aspects for you on your unschooling journey so far? I think I talked a lot about that in some of the yeah. other questions, <laughs> right? Because I think that um, and this may answer our last question, too, about what's most valuable. The most challenging and most valuable part of it was recognizing that I needed to change. <laughs> that the goal wasn't to change the children in my life so that I would be more comfortable. <laughs> it was to use the discomfort that they generated in me to do my own work. And what was most value, what has been and continues to be most valuable for me personally has been the way, the ways in which that healed me from the experiences I had in my own childhood, that this unschooling journey has been so much more about my journey. But I don't want to diminish, of course, the impact on the child right? yeah. <laughs> and the world that we create, but it's in that belief that we all can be whole, that we return to wholeness as adults and we create a space for them to remain whole to the greatest extent possible. We're all going to experience some pain and some trauma. And it's not about you have a happy life that never experiences any of those things. That's that's not what I create for the children in my life because I don't control their environments. I don't control the relationship they have with others, the ways in which someone you love might hurt you, you know, in, in those other relationships they have. But it's a journey of healing for me and, and parents. And then it is a, a back to wholeness. And it's a journey of creating um, as much of a foundation of wholeness from which they then um, operate from of knowing themselves and knowing that they're enough and, and they're going to question it. Cause I see that now in Martel, even he'll question, am I, am I good enough? How am I going to make it in the world? He asked me once recently, mom, how do you know I'm going to be okay without formal schooling? Mm -hmm. And so we, it entered into this whole conversation about all the things that I see in him about the resilience that he shows, the ways in which he learns, the ways he perseveres, all of the things that I see in his day-to-day -day life that maybe he didn't see in himself when he questions, he hears from others. How are you going to make it? You're, you're not even going to get a high school degree, you know, all yeah. that stuff. So, so um, that has been the most challenging part is my own work, facing my fears, facing what I hid away. And it's also been the most valuable for me personally. And the relationships that I feel like I have, the ways in which I've learned to be humble <laughs> and um, reconnect and, you know, own and be accountable for my own behaviors, but also, you know, um, come from a place of deep love for myself. And then that love translates to them. And, you know, it's just, that's the journey I'm on. I'm, and I'm still on it. I am nowhere near 
the end of all of that learning journey. This is from episode 36 with Lauren Seaver. Um, What has been the hardest part of your unschooling journey so far? This question I thought was so hard because I feel like we haven't had a lot of hardships with unschooling. Um, Sometimes life can feel hard, but that's not because Mm -hmm. of unschooling. (laughs) It's like, um, and, and we went from a lifestyle where River was in school for six hours and I was working out of the home for nine hours. And then we'd come back home together at the end of the day and it was like our we only had the worst of ourselves to give each other and we're both grumpy yeah. and exhausted and so going from that to a lifestyle where he's home so much more and I'm home so much more and we're together so much more and there's no pressure to do stuff he doesn't want to do and I'm working a job I love and I'm you know like we're both really fulfilled and happy um I feel like it's only made everything better um, and easier and more wonderful. And um, I think sometimes parenting can feel really hard and living as a member of a family can feel hard, um, but unschooling actually makes all of it easier and better. And um, so I didn't have a good answer. (laughs) This is from episode 41 with Jamie Maltman. What has been the most uh, challenging aspect of moving to unschooling for you? See, for me personally, I, I, I don't know that I really have an answer to that. Um, but within our family context, I know there's been a lot more um, for, for Monica. The way that, uh, first of all, actually, when, when I first started learning more about unschooling and I started sharing that with my mom, she said, wow, I wish I had this information. I probably would have done this with you guys back in the early 80s. Whereas when we started talking about even the idea of homeschooling with her mom, they thought we were crazy because they come from, you know, very traditional. Actually, it's, it's interesting. Even there's another layer of context there. My, my wife's parents are both Chinese background, lived in different countries in Southeast Asia, and then came here for one year of high school and then university and then settled here ever since. So in, and they also came from very large families. So in their, in their situation, it was a privilege for your parents to be able to pay for you to go to school and not all of their Mm -hmm. siblings necessarily even got that chance. So with the fact that we have a free system here that, you know, worldwide is at least pretty good. And for us to opt out of that, but still pay for it through taxes (laughs) sounds completely crazy to them. So just just on that sort of practical. And and then of course it also means that we're going to need to spend a lot more time so we can't work. So then there'll be less money. So the, the practical aspect of it to them sounded nuts. Um, then her mom had all the different, you know, her mom was actually very, very worried that we were going to stunt their, you know, their intellectual development, that we're going to stunt their social development, all these different issues that she had. So the toughest time for us was every September, as especially from the time where, because Alex and then his cousin Rex are the same year school-wise. So when Rex was first entering into junior kindergarten, that was a really stressful point for Monica because we're just getting, you know, there's a lot of back and forth that they're also not big readers of stuff in English. So they they can, and obviously they're capable of it because they went to university here, but they just, that's not their preferred learning style. So it's not like we could send them articles to get them comfortable or, or that sort of thing. So it was just a lot of uncomfortable conversations, a lot of avoiding it, maybe spending a little bit less time with them through some of those times. But then it's, it's been proving that, just through life for them. And just as a really interesting sort of now that we've, you know, we're, I guess, how many, four years into this process now for, for that part of it, 
um, a couple of weeks ago, we, we, we see them pretty much once a week with the cousins and Rex was sitting with his dad at one end of the table and he's actually at a Montessori private school, but I, I, I'm putting air quotes around Montessori there because I know how Montessori method works and him having a lot of homework for grade two um, to be doing, you know, basically he's doing homework every day doesn't have any bearing on a Montessori method at all. It, it, and I, I, I see that happening a lot because parents are paying so much for it. They, they're for a private school that they want some of the, a lot more of the private school features and sort of the markers of private school success um, and the Montessori ended up just being saying that we're doing this a little differently, but not that differently, really. So he was doing some, they were, they were doing some homework and his dad was basically yelling at him to get him to stay there and keep doing this homework on Saturday afternoon for symmetry or, you know, some, something like that. Some really topic that could be interesting and simple, but when it's broken into a worksheet, he was having a horrible time. Everyone was embarrassed. And meanwhile, Alex sat down at the other end of the table and was doing a project, writing out something for himself that he'd come up with and was just happily working away, writing a ton of stuff in his notebook. And I don't even remember what it was about. And the other, uh, so then the grandparents were freaked out by this sort of shying away from what had been happening at one end of the table. But then when they were asking Alex about it, they're saying, Oh, what are you doing? What are you working on? He started to get irritated that they were intruding into his work. So yeah. it's just, it could not have been more different. So to the point where he actually left the table, came to me kind of upset saying, you know what, I'm trying to work on my stuff, but everywhere I move, you know, my grandma was bugging me here. Then my grandpa was bugging me there. And my aunt was bugging me there. I don't even feel like working anymore. Yeah. So, you know, on one side, you needed this intense pressure to get anything done. And on the other side, the intrusion was messing it up and, and losing an opportunity for it because you're just trying to, I guess for them, they were trying to understand and trying to, see the value in it, whereas obviously he does, so just let him to it. That is a cool story, yeah. It, it, when you're um, paying attention to that, you, you do see it uh, all over the place, don't you? Absolutely. And Yeah, yeah. Well, and I guess the other, the other part to that, too, is the because we've hit a bunch of major milestones, that's what really got Monica completely comfortable with things, too. Because it did, she was feeling still a lot of anxiety about some of these different things of, you know, is this going to be enough for them? Are they going to be able to do this? And because she was the primary one, we're, we were both around them a lot, but she was the primary one sort of focused on that at that point. She, you know, she had to build her confidence more. So the reading definitely was very helpful for her um, and, and connecting with some other parents. But as we saw, you know, once Alex started to read on his own, and, and I, again, I had complete confidence in it because I'd learned before I went to Montessori. So I knew that's completely possible. And I'd read so much about the theory of it and how they do it in Finland and all these different things about, you know, if you just provide access and stuff that they're interested in and read it to them as much as they want, eventually at their pace, which could be when they're three and it could be when they're nine or 10 or whatever, mm -hmm. it's going to happen. So again, that overconfidence almost that I'm coming from helped me a lot. But um, I guess... Uh, so we saw, you know, first Alex starting to read some letters and then the odd word and then short sentences in context where he's interested. But and actually, we saw a ton of that through sort of tablet games that he was playing, where the functional reading of getting the response to, you know, for you to figure out what's going on on this screen in Plants vs. Zombies 2 and, you know, and just going a little bit further from that and seeing that picture and knowing that that means this, 
he put a lot of stuff together through that. And that's, that's where a lot of, you know, a lot of his good learning on the reading side was happening even more so than all the, you know, it's, it's neat nowadays that they've got at the library, every single thing, kind of toy or video game or movie that kids would possibly be interested in. They have the little tie in readers. So that's, that's been great. I think, especially for boys, um, the have all these Lego things or these star Wars things or whatever, um, available at that, but seeing him come through those phases to, to reading and it really, like you hear in so many of the stories, it, it wasn't far from him being able to read a few sentences on a page that I'm reading with him, but then saying, you know what, I, that's enough for me. You can read the rest of it now to mm-hmm. now he's sitting down with these basher books and reading a chapter or two at a time about these more advanced science topics and, and getting everything. So it's that, you know, is really empowering, obviously, for him, most of all. But, you know, it, that's that's the validation that really helps for parents. Um, same thing with swimming, uh, where we'd, I, I had a really negative experience with swimming lessons as a kid. But when she, or sorry, when, and whereas Monica went all the way through the swimming system to getting some of the higher, you know, swimming levels or whatever you call that, because I really yeah. didn't know how that works. Um, but I saw Alex, uh, we, I would take them swimming every week up here, and then when we'd go up to my parents' timeshare in the summer, they'd have access to the pool for the whole week, so we'd go once or sometimes twice a day. And I saw little by little, and I think it was not this year, but last year, towards the end of the week, he said, you know what, let me try this. I just want to try a little bit without water wings. And so he had gotten comfortable enough with the water himself, and then over the course of that last day or two, he was swimming just fine, you know, functionally. And, and, and then soon he was getting back and forth across the pool and now he's totally comfortable with swimming. So just two completely different things to, to follow on from the other stuff that you learn without having to be schooled in it, like walking and talking and everything mm-hmm. else that happens in your life. But just seeing a couple of those extensions that people are so fixated on teaching being required. Um, when obviously we know that it isn't, that's been really cool. So, those are the those are the two big ones, and now we're seeing you know where Duncan's at, and and again not comparing the two of them, just saying you know we're now very curious where along the path that'll happen. Both of those things will happen for him. So uh, yeah, well. no, I think that's one of the reasons um, you know when people first come to unschooling and they're trying it out. I, I know a lot of us, and I do as well, talk about um, you know giving it that time, six months a year, you know try it out for a long enough period um, that you can see these developments, right? Because it's it's really, e- I find it easy to um, develop that trust in unschooling when you give it enough time that you can look back and see something develop, like whether it's swimming, whether it's reading, whether it's whatever they're you know, their interest is, they are going to learn on the, in those um, larger chunks of time. So if you're giving them that space and, and all the support and hanging out with them, and you know what, I'm going to try this for a year and see how it goes. When you've got that bit longer period of time, you are going to see some really awesome things happen. It's just, you know, being able to, um, to take that time at first when you're, you're not quite sure what's going to happen. Yeah. And, and there's the other, the other side of that too, is we were just really lucky that we found the concept of unschooling on a website when Alex is maybe one year old. So mm-hmm. we were able to spend the next two, three years before he would have been at regular school age to 
work on our own de-schooling and read a lot of this stuff and just think about how that applied to just the way he was learning where nobody would be expecting school to be involved. Yeah. Um, and just get really comfortable with those concepts because the more, you know, not only is it the more school that you do, the more time you're going to have to work on that, but the more, well, both sides, right? The, the, if your kids do go into school, there's going to be even more time that you're going to need to wait to really be able to see that see it, yourself yeah. and to give them yeah. the space and the comfort level that they're going to be able to do that. So mm-hmm. I just think we're really lucky, you know, if everyone that was ever going to be interested in this would look at it when their kids are born, that would be great. But obviously that usually doesn't happen because that would only usually happen if you come across some other friends of yours that probably were already doing it. Otherwise, you're going to have some experience with school probably along the way first. This is from episode 79 with Dan Cadzo. So I was wondering, what has been the most challenging aspect of moving to unschooling for you? Well, initially, you know, I felt really insecure about being a, a man who takes on traditionally in our society of late, you know, uh, female roles. And, you know, I was, I was raised, you know, uh, a redneck kid in Ohio, um, you know, singing and dancing was not, not something boys did. And, you know, I still can't carry a tone in the, like if I try to sing and, and I, I feel personally robbed from that, you know, but I still carry a lot of that baggage, um, that uh, and so initially, you know, like walking into the grocery store with a kid in the grocery cart, kid in the snuggly, you know, um, uh-huh. people looking at you because uh, I don't know. It seemed to me that when I started doing it, there weren't a lot of other dads around doing it, and um, and I would see people look at me, and sometimes they'd have concerned looks on it on their face, and you feel like they're judging you, but. You know, but I, I quickly realized a lot of those people were just like they were actually trying to be supportive, you know, like um, and, and they would say things like, uh, oh, you've got your hands full. It's like, oh, boy, great job. You know, and it's like when they start talking to you instead of just looking at you, you start realizing, wow, they actually think it's great. They admire it, you know, and and, and after a while, <clears throat> you know, I, I find the older I get, the less I care about what other people think and uh, you know you get more confidence in all your actions and stuff like that so um, you know that was an early challenge uh, worrying about stuff like that this is from episode 88 with Jenny Gomes um, so what has been the hardest part of your unschooling journey so far uh, so the internal work I had mm-hmm. to do was has definitely been the hardest part of my journey. And then finding a balance, because I feel like I teeter-tottered for a while, like on a roller coaster, sort of going back and forth between two extremes, like giving more than I could to my kids, then feeling justified and taking it back. And then mm-hmm. I always felt like I had to be doing it right. And if I made a mistake, if I got angry or frustrated, I'd, I'd get discouraged and I'd feel like I was messing everything up. It was like a vicious cycle, you know? Mm-hmm. And for a little while, I just... I, until it happened that was it was like that until I found some stable ground and it, I find that I do still teeter-totter but like it's not as like high points and they're not as low like it's mm-hmm. it's sort of like it's not as as mountainous I guess as it would have been yeah yeah <laughs> if, I can, if I can describe it that way I don't know but that's what it feels like now it feels like I'm finding a little bit more of a balance I got we're in a little bit more of a group and I'm not gonna lie it really helps that they're getting older 
because reasoning with my eight-year-old is so much easier than reasoning with my two-year-old and that just is just like common sense yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right like and it's yeah. funny because I'll often talk to people and um and I think people just forget like the toddler years like people forget mm-hmm. childbirth pain you know you forget yeah. how hard it is to give birth until like you're in the moment again and then you forget yeah. how painful it was and that's how the toddler years are like it can be really gruesome sometimes trying to you know like <laughs> just mm-hmm. re- re- reason with a two-year-old um and you want to respect them and be you know but it can be it can be challenging so it definitely helps that as they're starting to get older that i can they're they're open to more reasoning especially my my eight-year-old like it's amazing how much she's grown in the last three years and the and how she's through being being radically unschooled Mm um oh my gosh it's incredible you know my mom sometimes she'll say well she watched them recently for a day and she was like you know madeline really she should be in school she should be reading she was um she didn't pick a wrapper up off the floor. <laughs> and I said to her, really? I said, well, she cleaned out my entire fridge yesterday. <laughs> you know, she's just one of those kids that's like, mom, I think we should clean out the fridge today. She literally took everything out of the fridge, wiped the entire thing down and put everything back. And I was like, okay, sure. I'll help you. <laughs> but she didn't pick the wrapper up off the floor, you know? So it's funny, like watching them, watching things like this and paying attention to them is just, it's, it's, it's gasoline for me. Like it adds fuel to my, my mm-hmm. passion for, for unschooling. Um, so yeah, oh, it definitely yeah. helps as they're, as they're getting older. And then a funny thing happened too, because as I began to radically accept them, I love that term, by the way, radically mm-hmm. accepting your children. Um, yeah. I also started to radically accept myself and my partner. And so that I was able to be more gentle with myself too. And then when things did happen, um, I would be kinder to myself about it almost, right? Like, I didn't have uh-huh. to, I didn't have to follow through on continuing to be grumpy. I had the tools to be that I needed in order to be kind to myself and realize what is it about what I'm feeling right now? What ha- might've happened? Did I, do I need to go and take a walk? Maybe I didn't have my cup of coffee this morning. You know, maybe I need to eat something, you know, there's got to be a reason why I'm feeling this way. I'm not a mean person, you know, I'm not usually grumpy. So I just, I began to radically accept myself and my faults and then my husband's too. So I wasn't so hard on him all as well. And that really, really helped us too. This is from episode 89 with Jan Hunt. What did you find to be the most challenging aspect of unschooling? <laughs> My, Jason, I had Jason read the questions to me uh-huh. um, a few days ago, and he, he got to that one, and I just laughed. <laughs> My mother, my mother, and I, <laughs> because she was the exact opposite. She believed 100% in schools, and I mean, she was a very, very old school. Um, she... We, we, we have a funny um, generation gap in our family because my mom turned 40 um, when she had me and I turned 38 when I had Jason. So she's from a very much earlier uh, era mm-hmm. um, where school was never questioned. Yeah. And, and so, so um, 
all of the attachment parenting things we were doing, um, and, you know, child-led weaning and co-sleeping and unschooling were very, very hard for her to grasp. And she was really worried, genuinely worried, because she was, that's not how she was raised. She was raised the exact opposite. Um, and so, so she had to, she, um, it, it took a long time for her to come to um, accept the fact that we were doing all these things. And, um, but in, it's funny, um, I, was, I, I joked once that when my book, The Natural Child, I really should have dedicated it to her mm-hmm. because a lot of those articles were actually long letters that I wrote to her uh, to explain what we were doing and why. Well, that's interesting. Cause I was going to ask. So, what did you do? <laughs> we were two thousand miles. You know, we were three thousand miles apart, and uh-huh. uh, and so I couldn't pick up the phone. But I would write these long letters, and and a number of those letters became articles. So, um, so really, she did me a great um, service um, because her skepticism and her um, judgment, um, you know, that really triggered a lot of. Um, it forced me to really think about what I'm doing and, and why and try to explain it to someone who didn't get it um, was really actually very helpful to me that way. And then what happened is by the time Jason was, I'd say, three or four, um, a lot of her criticism died down because she could see the proof was in the pudding. Mm-hmm. She could see what a sweet, wonderful kid he was. He was always wanting to help her, always wanting to you know, so always smiling and obviously very bright. And, you know, so, so it was the proof is in the pudding. And there, you, there you go. There, there he is, mom. What do you think? You know, did we do the right thing or not? You know, mm-hmm. so, so she, she never admitted that, but she, but it was clear from, from the fact that her criticisms, you know, became less and less over the years. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and finally, I think they're probably very minimal by the time he was like 10. This is from episode 101 with Heather Lake. So I was wondering what's been the hardest part of your unschooling journey so far, do you think? Well, you know, the the de-schooling process was very interesting to me. And and obviously, in a, in a lot of ways, we're still de-schooling and, and still working through that. And I, I think, I you know, Gavin, I felt like he was going to require a lot of de-schooling because I felt like emotionally he had gone through the most. You know, school was exhausting for him because, you know, he didn't enjoy it and he wasn't engaged in it. And, you know, the way that his teachers had talked to him and communicated with him. I felt like he was going to require a long time to just hang out and chill and kind of like emotionally recover from that whole experience. But what I found was, I think like literally like the first day he he wasn't in school, (laughs) he just took off. Like he just required very little de-schooling. He just jumped off into his, you know, what he was already so interested in. And it was just kind of like, you told that kid, you don't, you're not going to school anymore. And he's like, awesome. You know, and he was just off to the races, just learning a lot. I mean, he did have some, uh, you know, things that we had to kind of talk through and work through, but, but really his de-schooling process was 
was much less. And it was really my my 13 year old um, who really needed a, a long period of de-schooling. And she had really embraced school. You know, she was good at jumping through all the hoops. She was more like me, you know, much more conventional thinker. And so she was really the one who, you know, I just, I didn't anticipate, I guess I thought of de-schooling more from an emotional standpoint. And she was, she was the one that really, she's really just coming out of kind of an active de-schooling process. So she just kind of struggled in the beginning with uh, wanting to learn subjects. And, you know, I, to me, I would say, I would think, oh, you're, you'll be so excited. We don't have to do that anymore. But for her, that was kind of confusing. And it just mm-hmm. took a long time for her to kind of understand that whatever she's interested in is as important as any of those school subjects. So it took her a long time to embrace it and to really start to trust herself. And, you know, I think like she loves making slime and I think she didn't hold, you know, a value to that. Like to her, that's just, you know, just something she's doing, you know, it's just a fun thing. Some fun. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And she didn't realize like that's as valuable as anything else. You know, if that's important to you, then that's great. You know, keep working on that. And, and she's had a lot of learning that she's gotten, you know, through things like that. But it just took her a long time to really trust herself. Because I think when you buy into school, you know, someone's constantly telling you, you're supposed to learn this and you're supposed to learn this. And she really just embraced that. And so it took her a really long time to kind of understand that someone, you know, no one, I'm not going to bring her a list of things she's supposed to know, you know, the school, you know, she's not in school, so they're not going to give her a list. So, and it's really up to her to figure out what's important to her and what she values. And that just took a really long time. I think it was hard for her too, because, you know, her older brother has such a specific interest and hers are kind of more general, which is, you know, totally age appropriate uh, for her. I kept telling her, you know, you don't have to figure out your life's path, you know, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but that just, you know, that just took a while. And I mean, even just a few months ago, she was, I think, kind of feeling a little confused or wasn't sure you know, where to put her energy. So we were just, you know, having a heart to heart about that and just trying to talk through that. And I just said, what do you really want to do? And the first thing she said was travel. And then she said, but I know I can't do that. And I said, well, why can't you, why can't you travel? <laughs> like, well, I don't know. Can I travel? And I said, absolutely. And so I just saw this like light, you know, go on in her eyes And so she started researching different trips and different cities that she would be interested in going to. And, you know, we put her in charge of a budget. And so she's budgeting all these things. And she is just like, I could just see, you know, everything started to click in that moment. You know, I think she was limiting herself and what she thought that she could do. So she started budgeting and looking into to different things. And my sister actually lives in New York city. 
So she pretty quickly realized that if she could stay with somebody, you know, based on her budgeting, <laughs> yeah. if she could stay in someone's home, it would, you know, make for a much more affordable trip. So she uh, decided that she wanted to go to New York City and stay with my sister. So actually, in just like two or three weeks, she is going to be traveling to New York City and will be staying with my sister for five weeks for a really wow. in-depth trip to New York City. And so she has just been reading books about like the history of New York. And she helped book all her flights. And she's in charge of her budget. And, and actually, she, uh, she wanted to earn some spending money. So she's become like a mother's helper for some homeschooling moms in our area. And she's been taking care of kids and, and doing that all on her own. And she's raised all of her spending money. And so it's just been, you know, seeing her just dive into this has just been awesome. But it just took, you know, it took a while to get there. But you know, now as a 13 year old, she gets to go to New York City for five weeks, you know, during the year and and get to see what it's like to live there. And, you know, she's we got her a subway map. So she's been studying the stuff <laughs> and, you know, my, she'll get to, you know, be with someone who lives there and gets to kind of show her the, the ins and outs of the city. And so that's just been an amazing opportunity for her, but definitely that, that de-schooling process just takes a while. So I would just encourage, you know, anyone who's new into it to just really, you know, embrace the, the de-schooling process just to, I mean, it's your first, really first opportunity to just let go of the control or expectations. This is from episode 102 with Rachel Rainbolt. So now that uh, you you found homeschooling and, and you uh, started stepping closer and closer to unschooling, as you were going through that kind of de-schooling process, I was curious to know what you found to be kind of like the most challenging paradigm shift on that journey. Yeah, the de-schooling process was pretty intense for me. Like my husband and I both have graduate degrees and school from the way I was raised was very much tied into your, it's like validation and it's your value and it's your self worth. And so it was definitely a big process for me to get out from under all of that baggage of control and power and competition and, and trust was really the biggest piece for me. Um, for sure. When I, when I gave birth to my first, it took me a minute to, to shake out from under all that baggage and surrender fully to trusting my child and myself. And I found that it was the exact same thing with unschooling where that, that was kind of the last piece that clicked into place for me. Mm -hmm. And I knew in my mind, you know, in my rational cognitive <laughs> centers that, <laughs> That, that trust was the way to go. And, and trust is like that intention that I held in all of my parenting and I would talk about it and how important it was. And having that click in in the schooling area and the education, you know, realm was the last piece to like fully 100% through and through click in place. I love that because that... I'm, I'm just trying, I'm thinking back to my journey as well. And yeah, when that, that seems to be the last 
piece because it's like it's the biggest piece. It's that kind of hump where you can you can almost relax. It's like this deep breath that you didn't even know you were yes. holding, right? <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. And it seems like you can say on the surface level, like I absolutely trust my children and I trust them to lead this journey. But then in the back of the mind of my mind there were little thoughts like, oh oh but what about gaps? Like, mm-hmm. oh oh but what about, you know, this, that and the other. And when that like one hundred percent of the trust finally clicked all the way even to those like back corners of my mind that's when everything really started to soar and feel amazing and and be wonderful like I I had to get through that last I had to let go of those last like societal expectations and pressures and and just let those last ones go and then to be fully into trust with my kids and then that's when things really started to blossom yeah that's beautiful and it's it's so true I mean that's the the same experience that that I've had and you you don't you can't really anticipate can you what it's going to be like at that point it's just (laughs) wow everything is is brighter and and more full And, and you know I don't, I don't like to leave the mistaken impression that at that point it's easy all of a sudden, right? I mean, life is still right. life, but that trust helps you sink into each of those moments, doesn't it? Just so you can totally be there with them and processing and, and it, it quiets all those questions that were usually flowing in the back of your mind, doesn't it? Yes. And if you are filling in all that space for them, then there's no room for them to fill it in for themselves. So, oh, you know, yeah. if, if you are occupying their time and telling them what things they are to focus on, then there's no room for them to grow into that space. And you both can't occupy it simultaneously. <laughs> so once you have fully surrendered to the trust, and there's all of a sudden all this space for them to blossom into and to fill in and to grow into and to take hold of. Um, And then there's just so much magic that comes from that. I love that image because, I mean, that that is such a beautiful way to describe it. I hadn't thought of it that way because um, you are now, once you're fully trusting, you're able to really let them be that that idea of space for them to fully be themselves. I love that because. And it's not distant. Yeah, it's just like holding space like you're right there with them, but you're holding the space for them to grow and to fill in. This is from episode 105 with Nick Hess. For you um, was the most challenging aspect of moving to unschooling. You know, I think it would have to be family. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because me and my wife, she's pretty much we're, we're always on the same page with a lot of things in life. But our our family could have been pretty um, not supportive. It's like oh, you guys are crazy. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like uh, that whole thing. And th- I think that was a challenge because just you're constantly having to, like a Facebook post would just trigger somebody, and it's like your cousin's daughter's a teacher, and she wants to fight with you. Why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think it was, that was like the biggest part. And as the years go by, just like when people try to ask me to go fight their unschooling fights, I'm just like, I'm over it. If people get it, they get it. If they don't, they don't. And I can talk to them. But so many people just like, how dare you? School, kids need school. And it's like, 
I'm at this point where I've seen it in my own lives. I see it in my children's lives. I see the incredible things my children do. I, it's just the family, just, it's hard because sometimes people are close to their family and it's just like the family at them every day. But it's just when you finally get over just not caring what they think anymore and just like, hey, we know what we're doing. At the end, you'll see our kids flourish and everything. And I think that's the whole point. It was just, but I think the family was probably the hardest, the most challenging aspect of of really of it all. I mean, the years ago when we started this all. So did you find yourself for a while um, when you were first starting um, kind of pulling away for a while because you found that it was conflicting? Like I know for us for, for a while that first year we uh, did, you know, less family occasions because they were so confrontational because it was new to them they felt they could change our mind and I was still learning and getting comfortable because I didn't have a uh, experience yet right I hadn't spent a year or two seeing my kids unschooling and knowing in my bones that this was awesome we were just trying it out so you know uh, that was one of the things that helped us did you find that as well well I think the biggest thing that really helped us is uh we moved from California and all our family, both sides of our families in California. Ah. And we moved to so basically we only seen them a couple times a year. So that daily thing besides the Facebook post mm. yeah. <laughs> that, that they were constantly, then this is finally moving away. This really being us and really being who we are. And my parents have always been supportive of, of it and they moved to Arizona with us and, uh, and it's yeah. just that whole support of of that with us, my wife and us as a team, as as a family, I think helped. And that whole move really helped a lot where it wasn't every day, just the bombardment of it every day. This is from episode 106 with Kelly Callahan. Now that you've chosen this path and they didn't go back to school after Christmas, what did you find to be one of the bigger challenges as you were de-schooling? Um, I, I thought so much about this question this week and how I wanted to talk about it because, you know, despite the fact that it, it feels like it was this very natural thing for us to be, you know, there weren't big problems. Mm-hmm. Um, it has been really challenging <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, for different reasons. And, and so it's been fun kind of sorting through those threads and being like, because it's not, I can't just say there's been this one thing that's been challenging the whole time. You mm-hmm. know, in the early years, it was kind of all the superficial things. And I think them to be superficial now, like screens, food, sleep, yeah. um, that were just kind of these topics. And some of that for me was, I know a lot of people I've heard say that like they started attachment parenting and they that led them into unschooling because it seemed like this seamless transition. But actually for me, Something that was wound up in attachment parenting for me, which we did do, we co-slept, we breastfed on demand, we did all that stuff, was the way that it was married to a kind of natural parenting that has a fair amount of control in it, point of view. Like, yes, you're going to get, you know, you're going to feed your kid when they're hungry, but it's only going to be the foods that you choose, you know, and it's going to be natural, organic, mm-hmm no sugar, no, you know, all that stuff, Uh, which I mean, I've always been into kind of natural food and healthy living my whole life. So I think that's also a lot of it's me and what I was gravitated to, but you know, and also like the, 
the no screens and the Waldorf and the and the wooden toys. And so a lot of that I had really absorbed quite deeply. And so peeling that apart was a big challenge. Um, and that's kind of what it's morphed into that I've realized is that really there's nothing about unschooling that's challenging. It's all about what you're attached to and how strong your attachments are and your ability to look at those. Um, so, I mean, not to be like super esoteric, but if you ever watch the matrix where he goes to see the Oracle and he sees the little <laughs> boy bending the spoon and he says, it's not the spoon. It's only yourself that's bending. And I think that's how I feel about unschooling now. It's like, it's not, and I've heard you say this over and over when there's problems, like people are like, it's not the unschooling. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I feel like that. I'm like, the things that challenge me are never the unschooling. It's really because I'm super attached to something and being some way or some idea I had about it. You know, the idea I had about what it meant for my son to want to play video games all the time or, you know, what it meant when my daughter really did want to be taking classes and kind of keep one foot in like structured learning world. Like when I really wanted to be like full scale unschooling. So the thing that makes it easier is when I take all of the things that I learned from listening to your podcast and the things that I read, which is, you know, giving space and seeing what's really needed and not trying to rush in and control it and trusting and, and then those things, you know, like that stuff is never about the thing. It's always about how you approach it. This is from episode 111 with Jan Fortune. I was wondering, what did you end up finding to be the most challenging aspect of moving to unschooling? I think at the beginning, it is that fear, that kind of nobody else is doing this. Um, Am I just lazy or stupid? Am I letting them down? Am I going to miss some essential skill or fact that they need in life by kind of just, you know, winging it and doing it on the hoof? Um, But actually, I think over time, begin to realize that whatever model of, en- of education you're using, something's going to get missed out. It doesn't matter how academic or rigorous it is. Nobody can cover every topic known to humanity. So you begin to relax and kind of think, actually, let's just develop skills. Let's just develop a love of learning. Uh, let's just provide a rich environment with conversation and films and nature and books and art materials and you know whatever it is and just take that pressure off ticking the box um i think once we're over that initial thing the biggest challenge probably became just keeping up with them because four children with all of that enthusiasm, <laughs> like you know can i just kind of run with keep running and keep running with this and 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 also you know parents have to find various ways of making a living and holding body and soul together so just that sheer juggling um aspect but again all parents have that you know there isn't really an easy form of parenting it's just the choices that we make and um you know I felt this was a good choice but yeah getting over the fear and not getting overwhelmed I think are the the biggest challenges I really love that and and it turns out it comes to like you were saying all parents have this it it, unschooling challenges just are really life challenges aren't they just living together yeah, I mean, I can remember one day somebody saying to me after I'd spent a long time with one of my children um, negotiating a decision that they needed to make, and they said, well, 
why did you spend all that time? You could have just imposed, you know, you could have just solved that in five minutes, told them this is what you're going to do, get on with it. And I said, well, and when you do that with your children, um, what happens? Well, they might have a tantrum. They might, and so, so you pour your emotional energy into an hour of a child being hurt and upset and feeling dismissed. And you think that it's a bad idea for me to pour my energy into an hour of everybody winning. It's like, you're going to use the energy. Why not use it creatively? Um, instead of destructively, all parenting takes a lot of energy. And I think if you agree with your children together to use that well, you, you know, you, I think the benefits are fantastic. Thanks for listening. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes at livingjoyfully.ca forward slash podcast. While you're there, be sure to pick up your free copy of my book, What is Unschooling? In it, we'll explore some of the common questions people have when they first hear about unschooling. Like, how will my child learn? How do I know they're learning? What is de-schooling? And how do I get started? It's also available at many online ebook retailers. And if you'd like to connect online, you can find me on Facebook at Living Joyfully. Until next time, have fun living and learning with your family.